the business was seeing a lot of profits. But the complexities that brought the business did not come from the lack of the skills of how to run the business and the skills that we, we focus too intensely on. They came from the, you know, the social structure. They came from the norms of the village, the values of the village, the relationships with the men in the village, with the youth in the village. These were things that when we were sort of equipping the women, we didn't realize that those systemic factors were so crucial and those complex factors were so crucial. Hello and welcome to Bubbles, the podcast for curiosity. The purpose of this podcast is to talk to people every week who are outside my own bubble. People who are doing something completely different than me and could spark curiosity in those areas. Dr. Odera earned his PhD and MA in political science from the University of Florida and is currently a professor at Minerva Schools. He has founded and led five organizations focusing on socioeconomic development, political development, and food security innovations in Kenya. He has also created and led two field schools in community development in Kenya. His work deals with issues of political development, citizen political linkages, microfinance institutions, the informal economy in Africa, and community development. He has researched, written, and taught extensively on these topics. And I got to know you personally through our many Minerva classes together over the past four years, and I have always been fascinated by your ability to dig deeper into systems and ask questions that analyzes the inner workings of the system. I have also been very curious about your story leading up to this point, so I'm beyond excited for our conversations today. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. Um, let's just get it started with uh, if you were to explain your life story in a couple of minutes from from being born in kenya to currently teaching at minerva schools how does that story go in in broad terms um i i guess it would be i would start at the point at which i was i could call it an inflection point i think that would be best to start there um and that starts at that point when i was finishing high school uh when I was finishing high school and joining this group of youth who are thinking about what's ahead for us and what's the future that lies ahead for us. My plans at that particular point uh, were to go to university like any other student who wanted to go to university and then try to make it uh, forward in terms of figuring out how my life would progress from there. But at that particular time when I finished high school, the, the way the system worked was that you would finish your high school and if you did well, universities would select you and would give you an opportunity to study what you want to study. And then it was sort of a linear way of thinking because that's what we were introduced to. And so that's when I began to seriously take into consideration that the life that I was living was about to become my own life and I was about to chart my own path forward. Of course, I came from a very communal background and um, up to high school, I was very dependent on my parents because they were providing a lot of things for us, but also we didn't have a lot. We were relatively poor. So uh, school was also very challenging for them, but they tried their best. So at the point at which I finished high school, uh, my mom and my dad knew it would be hard to educate me beyond that because now they had two other children to educate. They had educated five and 
most of us after high school, it was mostly not because our parents didn't want to help. It was mostly because they had other obligations in the house. And that really shaped my life a lot because after high school, then it was clear that I had to figure out the way forward. So just very briefly, uh, I didn't manage to get in university, number one, because I didn't do particularly well uh, for various reasons. So I didn't get the scores to get into university. And at that point, I felt like, I was in crisis because if that was the path that I had been preparing for all along and now I didn't get into university, it seemed that I was doomed. And this was because I was surrounded by other youth who had not made it into university and were really struggling. Some were living in slums, some were my relatives, uh, some uh, were really suffering from diseases, uh, young people were dying. And so it was really hard to think ahead uh, without that idea that I wasn't in university. So what happened then after university, I tried to find other ways to get jobs, maybe start businesses, do entrepreneurship. And those also were difficult because the economy at that time was not doing very well in Kenya. So there was no loans. The microfinance is actually wasn't a big thing then. My parents could not afford capital for me to start any business. I didn't have friends that had money. And here I was among other youth who were trying to make it forward. So the, the surprising decision that I had to make, which was unheard of, I think most youth were doing it, not most, I don't know how many youth were doing it, but I had to make this tough decision to go back to high school after two years of not getting anything or not making any progress. So I finished high school. Year one after high school, there was nothing. Year two, there was nothing. And then in the third year, I said, I can't keep doing this. I need to go back to high school and see if I can get to university again. And tried that. It didn't, again, do well. This time was actually related to even much, much more difficult circumstances. And so tried it twice, didn't get it to university. And so it started an onset of four years of a difficult journey of trying to make it to university. And... Uh, somehow navigated through very, very many challenges. The stories could be gone and on. Uh, and then I started university at 24. Uh, that's So I finished high school actually at 17. And the first time I entered university in the US was at 24. After many, 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 many years of trying different ways to get to university. And that's how I found my way into US um, and started my undergraduate studies at 24. And did my undergrad degree in political science and then my master's and then proceeded to University of Florida for my PhD. So that's just in a nutshell. Cool. And what uh, what prompted you to study political science? So when I was growing up in Kenya, politics was actually very dominant. I mean, a lot of people were talking about the government and how the government was failing, corruption was rampant. Um, I grew up at a time when there was a lot of agitation against the um, unitary government and single party system. There were riots and protests at that particular time when I was about to finish high school. So a lot of these things were sort of happening and shaping how I was seeing society at that particular time. This was in the 90s in Kenya when this, all these things were happening. And to, to a certain degree, it was sort of clear that politics was playing a very significant role in the well-being of the nation. And the fact that youth were struggling and suffering, I had cousins who passed away who were my peers, and my mom was also struggling, my dad was struggling. And it's just that environment of politics was hard to run away from. So it prompted me to really want to understand how 
is the political system uh, shaping the lives of everyone? And what can be done uh, from a pragmatic standpoint to make things better? So I was really interested in going into political science to kind of figure out how do we solve these problems? Actually, I started with computer science, but then I shifted into political science because it was more appropriate to do political science to address these questions. And so my background, the things I saw, the things I experienced, my lived experiences are the reason I went into political science. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. And so you did your PhD and your MA in political science. And then yes. where does the story go from there? I actually did uh, uh, my, uh, I started the political science uh, BA and um, at, along the way, I realized that it's important to understand economics. And so I did another bachelor's of business administration in economics, just so that I have a good grasp on economics. And I was interested in small businesses because I thought that entrepreneurship uh, was the way to address the problems we were facing. And this, this is how, uh, this is what determined actually how things went forward. The master's that I did was in public administration because I was very interested in government administration and how government administers and how it runs the country. So I did a master's in public administration. And then in my PhD, I tried to do a combination of political economy, focusing on small businesses in the informal sector and trying to understand why is it that they are not doing very well and why poverty is rampant in that sector and how government policy and how governance is leading to the failure of that sector to thrive and failure of most of the businesses to do well and a percentage of them to fail. And so that's where my research really centered on as a PhD student. And as a student, I was also uh, running organizations, as you said at the beginning, trying to also figure out solutions because I wasn't just interested in learning, but I was also interested in figuring out solutions that would improve governance so that small businesses that were being run by the poor would succeed. So that's what happened and um, started a couple of organizations trying to figure out how to mobilize people and work with people to find solutions. So yeah, so that's basically what happened after my studies and that's what I've been working on. Cool. And so when you started these organizations uh, alongside your studies and after your studies, um, can you talk us through one, one of those organizations and how, how that started, where that story, where the, where, what's the story behind that and how did that start? Uh, maybe maybe I think uh, it's interesting. I, I could make two a connection here. When when I started my undergrad degree, uh, my undergrad studies uh, way back uh, in 2004 when I had come from Kenya, those um, experiences as a youth were so fresh in my mind. I had lost three cousins um, who struggled. I had friends who had left struggling and I just was in the youth circles enough to see how much struggle youth were facing. And so it occurred to me that the first thing I need to do is to figure out how to tackle youth problems and how to bring youth into development. So when I was a sophomore, a second year student uh, in university, the first organization I started was called Youth in Development with the idea that I would mobilize youth in Kenya to get engaged in development and use my knowledge and experiences to equip them with the resources, the capacities, the knowledge. And I, I remember even those days sending them a lot of documents and learning a lot of things and connecting them. And, and that's how I started. So the reason I mentioned that is today, uh, which is, I don't know, 16 years later, the organization I currently run is focused on youth. 
and is called Systems Argument for Youth-Led Development Solutions. Uh, almost a full circle after trying two other organizations, three other ones in the middle there, and, and now focusing intensely on youth. And so that's what I'm currently doing, um, equipping youth with systems thinking skills and complexity thinking skills so that they can have the appropriate knowledge for addressing complex problems which is uh, born out of my experiences in trying to solve complex problems and realizing that unless uh, youth can, unless youth are able to think in terms of complexity or systems thinking, it's very difficult to actually see results that bring these feeling of fulfillment, accomplishment, and meaning that would keep youth engaged. So now, what we do in this organization is equip them with these skills, and we have youth who are involved in their communities right now. Um, using these skills to mobilize their communities to address these complex problems that their communities face. Oh, wow. I really want to dig deeper into that. Uh, but just before we go into that, so um, w when you finished your PhD and you were working with this organization, how, is the, where does, uh, how did that story converge into where we are right now? Is it, uh, did you still keep working on this organization until you started at Minerva, or is there any other uh, points you would bring, bring forward in that journey? Can, can, you, can you ask again? Uh, so you said from my when I finished my PhD, is that where yeah. you wanted me to start from? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and how it connects to this organization that I run now? Exactly. Yeah, oh, I see. So very interestingly, so during my PhD, because I was always driven to be in the middle of scholarship and practice, as a PhD student, I was running a nonprofit organization called Rural Empowerment and Development Innovations. And this was supposed to be focused on rural areas. And these PhD studies, which I was learning about the relationship between government, microfinance, and the informal sector, I felt that I had acquired enough knowledge to equip rural communities with knowledge on how to run enterprises and to learn successful businesses. So right after my PhD, I went full circle. I mean, I went sort of fully in, in, in working with rural communities. And I had one project that I was doing with uh, women in a rural community, in a rural area, a poultry farming business. We, we started off pretty well. There were, I mobilized 15 people from the US. We went to Kenya, we ran a two week training session for the women. I managed to convince the organization to give a grant to the women about $3,000, which is a lot of money in Kenya. And the women were very excited, as, as you would imagine, and rightly so, because this was something they really wanted to do, and they had chosen this project. Unfortunately, after six months, the business failed and collapsed, and nothing could revive it. I tried so many things to revive it, and nothing happened. I, I had a moment you know, to reflect on what really happened, and it took a while to really sit down and think things were going so well, so what happened here? And it really struck me that I had overlooked the complexity of the situation hmm. and thought of it as a simple problem. You know, I just thought, here is a business issue, you equip them with accounting skills, finance skills, you give them a business plan, you tell them when they'll break even, and you help them to monitor. And up to six months, things were going really well. I mean, the chicken gives birth to, um, I mean, the chicken were, were, were laying so many eggs. I mean, the business was seeing a lot of profits. But the complexities that brought the business did not come from the lack of the skills of how to run the business and the skills that we, we focus too intensely on. They came from the, you know, the social structure. They came from the 
norms of the village, the values of the village, the relationships with the men in the village, with the youth in the village. These were things that when we were sort of equipping the women, we didn't realize that those systemic factors were so crucial and those complex factors were so crucial. But part of it, naivety, uh, part of it, just not wanting to focus on those things. In fact, what's ironic was that when I finished my PhD, I was building a model uh, called, um, I, I forget actually the name, but it was a model I was building that was based on my uh, doctoral studies, which had shown that uh, businesses fail because they are not connected to the political and economic system very well. And so I had designed this model that was supposed to connect small businesses in the rural areas to the larger system, to the supermarkets, to the government, to universities and so forth. And even as we were working with this business, that was the goal. But I didn't really think about the local complexities because I was so focused on the macro picture, you know, the big development idea of big development approach. So having failed there it struck me that you know, maybe that was a very crucial learning point that showed a learning gap uh, that i could address and that's when this new organization started which was systems acumen uh, the idea that nowadays a lot of youth are told to get involved in development and social change and they do so but the gap that i saw which i also had was the systems acumen and so I felt that if youth today are going to do meaningful change uh, in Africa and even in Kenya, systems acumen can be very, is crucial, not can be, but is crucial. And so the new organization was designed to equip youth with such skills and collaborate and work with them in addressing these social problems from a complexity or systemic perspective. Mm, very cool. And, and for people who might not be familiar with systems thinking or systems acumen, what, what does that mean or what does that entail? In a, in a nutshell, it's just if you I mean if you if you think about complexity thinking first of all, a, a complexity thinking in the most simple way would be the ability to understand all the complex I mean sorry all the factors that are interacting with each other and affecting outcomes. So to give a, an example would be if a business is located in a community, you would have to think about how the women relate to their husbands, how they relate to fellow women, the relationships they have with their churches, the relationship that the business has with other businesses, the relationship that the business has with youth, with the market. And so you're not, from a complexity thinking standpoint, you're not just thinking about the business as an isolated entity, but you're thinking about all those other factors that are related to the people that are running the business and how they are likely to affect the success of the business. Systems thinking, on the other hand, is also related to that, but systems thinking sort of goes deeper, especially the approach that we are using, and looks into issues like what are the mindsets, uh, what are the ideologies, what are the worldviews involved in this, uh, how are people's value systems driving how they see the business, which is actually what I learned, is that, for instance, the women were not approaching the business with the same mindset as I was. I was focusing more from a capitalist sort of traditional capitalist standpoint that you run a business, you make profit and so forth. But the, the women's mindset was mostly the business will give them pride in the community, will provide them with a place to, you know, get involved in churches and some kind of status. You know, they, they would use the eggs to support the community. When there was a funeral, they would take the eggs to the funeral. When the church had events, they would take the eggs to the church. 
and they were respected in the community because of that. So there were so many things they saw the business as that I didn't see. So systems thinking sort of starts with that idea that people have different mindsets, different views, uh, different perspectives on the same thing, and that they want you, you don't see the same thing as you much as you assume. So system thinking allows you to see, in other words, to see the things, the bigger picture that you're not seeing. So there are some tools that you can use to actually see all those things that are very hard to see and that can actually that actually do shape how people behave and how organizations behave and how businesses also run and so we uncover those things using system thinking mm. that makes a lot of sense and so when you have that systems perspective and and so in, the, in your current organization you're teaching uh, students and young people that that perspective how, how do they take this perspective and actually act upon it so at first, so it's it's a very gradual progression, right? So because think about it, most people, um, when they so let me let me give you an example of what we do. So they come to they apply to the organization to be part of the program, and when they apply, we ask them to submit a proposal on how they want to tackle the complex problem. And most of the times what you find is people look at problems as X leads to Y, right? And so they try to figure out X and Y relationship and then solve the problem. And that's what happens. And so when they come, a good number of them, when they submit their proposals, they are thinking in terms of that X, Y relationship. This, uh, If I do this, this will change. It's very, very direct cause of relationship. But when we introduce them to the tools, the first thing is, you know, um, I don't know how to characterize this. It it baffles them for a moment. It's 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 kind of because you have to actually make a mental shift uh, when you get these tools. You have to start making a mental shift. It becomes very tough, first of all, very challenging because this is a new concept you're learning and you're acquiring new concepts for looking at your problems. And so the first thing is feeling of um, defeat, a little bit of defeat, a little bit of this is complex, this is difficult. And as we continue working with them, because we do this for nine months to a year, they begin to get comfortable with system thinking and they begin to get comfortable with using these concepts. And they begin to actually be amazed at the things they don't usually naturally see and how they have overlooked so many things that are related and they should be addressing. So right now with a lot of them in their nine months or so, we are seeing a lot of them actually uh, getting this sense of, now they can see a lot more that they were not seeing and they feel that they can be hopeful. I remember talking to uh, one of the members, a uh, young guy, I was in Kenya in January and we were having a chat and he was telling me how using system thinking opened his eyes to see things he wasn't seeing in the community and even allowed him to see his role, for instance, in corruption, right? So most of the times we, we, we would say the politicians are corrupt, they are being corrupt, they're doing these things that are corrupt. But then he started using system thinking and he was able to see how he is part of the system and how his act actions, his activities, daily activities actually contribute to the nature of corruption and the way the community looks like and the system. And that opening, which is more like a helicopter view of things, it gave him this sense that now he knows what to do about the problem. So actually one of the things Mayu would do is actually let them know that it's doable. You can actually address complex problems if you can systematically think about them from a system thinking standpoint. Because when we meet you, the first thing they, so our mission is actually, let me give you three things. 
disengagement of youth in social change or civic engagement, uh, marginalization and um, exclusion. The disengagement part is very interesting because most of the time when we start talking to them, when we are in recruiting them from the program, and you say something like, let's tackle a street children problem, they will say something like, whoa, 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 too big, too complex. I don't know where to start. That's a government problem. Mm. And so what happens there, you see that they don't engage in their communities because they feel like it's too big, it's a government, it's a donor problem, and they should just sit back and let the experts do it. And so when we introduce them to system thinking and they acquire these tools and skills and ways of looking at this problem, you see a shift. They say, oh, wait, so there is actually a way to tackle this problem and I can do it and we can do it. I'm all in. And now most of them are in that space where they are actually realizing that it's not impossible for them to do it. It's just that they don't have or they didn't have the tools for them and they knew they could, but they felt it's too big. And with system thinking, you can actually see it and know how to actually do it. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. And and so for what are the next steps for you for your organization and what are you guys' milestones and, and goals for the next couple of years? Or um, yeah, what is your big vision mm. and how do you break that down? So I mean I think I think to start the vision, maybe we can start from the current situation and then give you the vision. Mm. Most African countries have seen uh rapid increase in youth population we are looking at 60 percent 60 to 70 percent of africa's population is youth and that is big right and so with that large population there is an uh, awareness that the future in a literal sense depends on youth and depends on what youth do today but also depends on what people who are in the older generation do with youth and so for us the vision is a vision where we see more youth engaged in tackling these 21st century problems. Um, so what's interesting is also that you have this massive population, but the problems have also become complex. And so youth have to tackle these problems in a complex way. And so our vision is to equip as many youth as we can in Kenya and in Africa with complexity and system thinking skills in their communities to actually get them to start uh, being civically engaged, to get them to start influencing governance influencing policy, uh, influencing how governments and um, international development organizations and also local and government organizations tackle these complex problems that need complexity thinking and systems thinking. So we see them as systems leaders, if you like. And so one of our goals is to nurture as many systems leaders as we can um, in Africa, but also share what we have learned globally uh, to equip with other youth with these skills globally. And so the future for us is, since now we've fully designed this program, um, runs nine months um, and youth finish and they get engaged in their communities like this youth are getting engaged now and they get engaged with governance as well as they are engaging with governance right now as we speak. So we are looking to do it annually as long as we can be around to see a massive increase in youth who are systems leaders at the community level and that also at the national level. Who knows, maybe in the long term, see some of these youth become the politicians and the leaders who think in complexity and system thinking and moving their countries and communities forward. Hmm, I love that. And then what's your what's your personal personal mission and vision in, in all of this? What, what do you want to achieve by uh, throughout your lifetime? Do you, have, do you have a goal like that? Yeah, I do. Um, I mean, if I was to summarize my purpose, 
and it's something that you know I have thought of for for such a long time. I could summarize it as you know. I think at this point, I think my my I think of my purpose as being around or existing to you know to have well-being myself and to thrive, but also to do everything I can to to ensure that other human beings, especially youth, can thrive and have well-being. And, and you know, this has been shaped by how this has shaped how I do almost everything every day and my perspective on people and things. It's it's not perfect, but it's a guide that it's better than not having one, right? And I reflect on it as often as possible to see, to see, so so that I see how I change my own principles and actions. It's actually what led to the founding of this new organization. So that's my, my guiding mission, my purpose. I want to have well-being and thrive, but also ensure that youth are also thriving and having well-being and allowing their communities to have well-being. Um, of course, I'm a parent also, and I'm a husband, so it starts at home by also making sure my own family uh, thrives and my children thrive, and at work also to ensure students that I teach are also thriving and are also on the path that they would prefer to be on and to see as much as possible how I can connect them to what they find meaningful and valuable in their lives. Mm. Thanks a lot of sense. And maybe as a final question, uh, just to sum it up a little bit, if there are any youth listening right now and who might be interested in, in solving societal challenges in their societies, what kind of tips would you give and who might be a little bit curious about complexity and, and systems thinking, what kind of tips would you give to, to someone like that? I would say, I, I, like just to clarify your question, are you talking about just youth in general, right? Yeah, exactly. I would say actually starts with finding, to me at least, starting starts with finding a gap in their own spheres of influence that they care about. Um, because I think sphere of influence is a very important place to start with because we all have our spheres of influence. So looking at their own spheres of influence that they care so deeply about and identifying gaps that motivates them deeply and drives their interest in, in seeing that those things change. And once they identify that sphere of influence and the gap in those spheres of influence and the problems, if you like, that give them a deeper sense of purpose, then they can start uh, exploring that area. But first of all, really understanding it well. For instance, when I think of a sphere of influence as a country or a community, I think it's important to start by really understanding the people who are in that community or country, the cultures, the worldviews, the social structures, the political system, and people's lived experiences and preferences that drive them. But also key is history. It was the history of that particular situation. But it goes back again my, to what I say it is finding a deeper sense of purpose that connects them to something they deeply, deeply care about, a gap in the society that drives them and they feel that they can fill that gap and it can give them some sense of fulfillment, uh, some feeling, some sense of meaning and a sense of purpose, which also goes back to identifying um, a sense of purpose that can guide them. It's not like they write it in stone, but it's just a sense of purpose that guides why they do what they do and how they act, how they act every day in their lives. Hmm. I love that. I think that's a beautiful note to end it on as well. Um, thank you so much for taking the time there. I really, really appreciate it and sharing your story and all this advice. Uh, it, it's, been a, it's been a great conversation. Thank you.
Uh, thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me and thank you for having me.